0: welcome to the podcast of ideas the battle of ideas festival took place at the barbican on the 2nd and 3rd of november 2019 the sessions were recorded and you can find all the discussions and topics covered at the festival released exclusively on this podcast The debate you're about to hear is called Does the world need a government? with Rob Lyons as chair. Uh,
1: Good afternoon everybody and welcome uh, to this afternoon's debate. Uh, Does the world need a government? My name's Rob Lyons, I'm the science and technology director at the Academy of Ideas and I'm chairing uh, the discussion. Uh, I was really pleased when uh, Ian Crawford, who I'll introduce properly in a moment, who's a co-producer of this session, suggested this as a topic for debate. Um, It's clear that we have many global problems that that need global cooperation to solve. Most obviously and topically, that is climate change. But we can also look at other things, like the financial crash, and see how coordinated measures help to resolve that. Uh, And of course, there are political and military tensions that inspire the main global institution that we have, the United Nations. But does the current tendency to create specific institutions for specific problems, often with little actual power to enforce decisions, prevent us from solving these global issues. Alternatively, does the idea of a world government send shivers down your spine? Who knows? Um, Who would would make up these global institutions? How would they be selected and held to account? And whatever we may want, Would nation states really be willing to give up power to global bodies? So to discuss all this, we have a very erudite panel of experts, and I'll introduce them very briefly in the order they speak. So the aforementioned Professor Ian Crawford. Uh, Ian is Professor of Planetary Science and Astrobiology at Birkbeck College, University of London. He has long believed that the cosmic perspectives provided by astronomy and space exploration provide a strong, if implicit, argument for the eventual political unification of the planet. <coughs> and to my immediate right is Professor Mary Calder. Mary is Emeritus Professor of Global Governance at the LSE. She is Director of LSE's Conflict and Civil Society Research Unit. She is author, among many other works, of Global Security Cultures and Global Civil Society An Answer to War. On my immediate left is Andreas Bummel. He's Executive Director of Democracy Without Borders, a civil society organisation that advocates the right to democratic representation and participation in citizens beyond the nation-state. He's also co-author of A World Parliament, Governance and Democracy in the 21st Century. And finally on the far left is uh, Dr Tara, Tara McCormack. Tara is Lecturer in International Politics at the University of Leicester her research focuses on security, foreign policy and democratic legitimacy. She contributes articles on international affairs to Spiked and is frequently invited to comment and debate international affairs in the UK and international media. So if you've been here through the day you'll sort of get the idea of how this all work. The speakers will introduce their thoughts for 5 to 6 minutes each and then I'll come out to you for your thoughts and comments <coughs> and questions. So without any further ado, Ian Crawford.
2: Thank you very much, Rob. So, good afternoon, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd like to thank, in case I forget later, I'd like to thank uh, the Institute of Ideas for hosting this, this panel discussion. So, yes, I am here to argue that the world probably does need a government. Um, but I think we need to be clear what kind of... I mean, there are many different types of government. So, I'm not here arguing that the world should become a unitary state, I think we should be looking at some sort of federal structure that is able to apply the principle of subsidiarity on a planetary scale. So that means that local issues should be dealt with at local level and regional issues at regional level and national issues at national level. But the fact is the planet does have planetary level concerns, and Rob mentioned some, uh, biodiversity loss, climate change, the threat of international conflict between nation states, the regulation of multinational corporations that are too big to be governed by any international any, um, independent, any, any in current nation-states, um, and there's also a severe democratic um, deficit in the way the world is run at the moment, in that a key core of democratic theory is that if a decision affects you as an individual, you should be represented in that, decision, in that decision-making process somehow, and yet decisions are made by nas- powerful national governments in which none of us have any representation at all. So there's a democratic argument for a world government, a federal world government, um, to to address that issue as well. But I'm a planetary scientist, as Rob said, and I come to this with a planetary perspective. So I brought along a picture that you might like to reflect on. Uh, This is a picture of the Earth taken from the Moon by the Apollo 8 astronauts in December 1968. It shows the planet that we live on. Those of you at the front will see the lunar surface in the foreground. Here is the Earth hanging in space. You can just see the west coast of Africa. Quite clearly, and the rest is clouds and ocean. But here we are on this planet, <coughs> on this planet, orbiting, orbit whirling around the sun, whirling around the galaxy in the middle of nowhere. There is nobody out there to help us if we get into trouble on this planet. We have to organise our own affairs on this planet in a rational manner such that we can continue to, to flourish on it and to preserve its habitability, not only for ourselves but for all the other creatures I mean, for the, the, with which we share this world. So it, it always strikes me, if you, if you imagine you're an alien coming into our solar system and you stumble across this planet and you discover intelligent life has evolved on this planet after immense E- immense, immense history of e- evolution and you discover the planet the, the, the most the dominant intelligent species on this planet has chosen to organize it by dividing it up into 200 little sovereignties with little flags fighting each other using a, a large fraction of their their wealth wealth just defending themselves against themselves while at the same time being unable to get a grip on um, uh, activities that um damage the planet as a, as a whole, like climate change or allowing the Amazon rainforest to be burnt down because it's somebody's sovereignty, so we're not allowed to comment on whether the, whether, whether the Amazon rainforest is burnt down because that impinges on somebody's sovereignty. If you, if, you were, if you were an alien visitor from outer space looking at this, it would be utter, you'd think it was utter, utter madness. There has to be a more rational way of organising our affairs on this planet. So my, my view is that for planetary-scale problems like climate change and preventing war and all of these the world this planet desperately needs a a planetary level of government with with the caveat that it would be a federal level of government so nation states should continue to no reason why nation states shouldn't continue to look after nation national concerns and local local authorities after local concerns but for planetary wide issues yes i do think the world needs a government
1: okay thank you very much ian Mary.
3: Yeah, Willie, thank you very much for inviting me. And it turns out I, I probably agree with Ian. <laughs> Not surprisingly. Um, I mean, obviously, we need a world order characterised by rule of law, characterised by human rights, and we need to solve collective problems like climate change, extreme poverty, and conflicts in places like Syria and Congo. But that doesn't necessarily mean... A, a a single world government, a state. (laughs) States tend to be centralised, territorialised, uh, militarised, and actually they're a problem both at global and local level. And like Ian, I think we also need a lot of devolution to regional and local levels if people are to be democratic in the sense of affecting and influencing the decisions that affect their lives. So what kind of global governance do we want? And I think one point's worth mentioning, that sovereignty's actually always been a bit of a myth. States only became sovereign if they were recognised by other states, and that meant accepting the rules of the game. Uh, And for the last few centuries, up until 1945, the rules of the game included the fact that war... International rules of the game included the fact that war was legal. Uh, We had laws of war, but (coughs) they only affected how you fought fought wars, not whether you could go to war. Um, But actually, what's happened really is, you know, we went through a period of empires... We never really had nation states. We were governed by empires. Then we had the Cold War and we were dominated by the superpowers. Um, And I think what's really changed now is three things. I mean, one is that the rules in which sovereignty is embedded are just much thicker and denser than ever they were before. We have so many more multilateral institutions at the moment we're in the midst of brexit talking about trade deals actually nowadays trade deals are really about health and safety environmental regulations as much as they are about goods and we're seeing how difficult it is to disembed ourselves from these thick rules and so we've seen the multiplication of institutions in the post second world war period the second thing i think is the rise of human rights War between states was prohibited in 1945, except in the case of self-defence or if there was Security Council approval, and what emerged in its stead was the rise of human rights law, which I think is hugely significant, and actually uh, interstate war has virtually disappeared. We've had lots of other sorts of wars, and I can talk about that endlessly, but I'm not going to. And then the third thing that I think is really important is the emergence of global civil society. People are active across borders. uh, I was just listening to this um, podcast by David Miliband and somebody pointed out that the Climate Change Agreement had no less than 35,000 people involved in civil... And most treaties now, although they're formally between states, you have a bigger and bigger role For civil society. And I think what's emerging is that whereas earlier we had what used to be called international relations, relations between states, what we have now is global politics in which we have debates among states, civil society groups, NGOs, celebrities like Greta Thunberg. It's a whole different world we're living in. So what does that mean for global governance? Well, I think we just need different types of institutions, a layering of institutions, and I think there, I'm very close to Ian, that deal with different issues. I mean, states do welfare, they finance themselves by income tax, (coughs) our global institutions should be financed by global bads, carbon taxes, taxes on financial speculation, (laughs) and they should spend on global goods peace, uh, uh, renewable energy, or whatever. And um, I think what's really important to say is the aim of this institution is to protect decision-making at local levels. If you restrain financial speculation, then there's more space for local decision-making. In a sense, having global governance actually empowers local-level decision-making. Um, how am I doing for time? I've got one minute. So I, I was going to say something about war and security, but I'll say that later. I just wanted to end with one thing. I think key to building global governance is political engagement and uh, changing the ideas that are dominant in this global politics sphere. And it's 30 (coughs) years since the 1989 revolutions. And people often say when they comment on the 1989 revolutions that there was nothing new about them, that they just uh, wanted to be like the West. But actually, if you really know what went on, before the 1989 revolutions, there was a sort of détente from below among civil society, peace movements, human rights groups. And it really did produce a new discourse that dominated international institutions after 1990 civil society, humanitarianism, human rights, all these became the dominant ideas in international institutions. Of course, we've gone backwards with Putin, <laughs> the war on terror, and Trump. Nevertheless, the United Nations, the European Union, and the African Union have become much more effective since that time and that's where i think the hope lies okay th-
1: thank you very much mary <clears throat> andreas uh,
4: many thanks i'm i'm happy to be here and participate in this important debate i appreciate the long-term perspective that has been introduced here because i'm sure and i hope that The nation-state will not be the last word in the political evolution of humanity. In my opinion, global government is necessary to deal with global threats and to manage matters of global concern. Um, Threats that affect everybody on this planet, it's been (coughs) said, include the climate crisis, environmental devastation, biodiversity loss, global pandemics, nuclear weapons, as well as concerns such as inequality, poverty and hunger. In my opinion, it is quite evident that the existing political system of 193 um, separate sovereign states is not, not capable of delivering effective and sustainable solutions in the best interest of humanity. For example, we all know it, carbon emissions reached an all-time high last year, and that's 30 years after we understood, the international community understood, the need to reduce them. There is a scale mismatch between the global system that we have and the national political institutions that run the political sphere. And uh, this results, I would argue, in a clear governance deficit at the global level. Um, By a world government, um, I follow here what Ian has pointed out. I also mean a system of multi-level government in which national governments certainly uh, would not disappear Following the principle of subsidiarity, functions and powers would be distributed between the different levels of government from the local scale to the global scale, including, of course, um, nation-states. Well, and the dispersion would be always done at the lowest possible level, which is essentially the um, principle of subsidiarity, um, as long as um, problem-solution is still effective. And I I also support the idea of devolution. However, if we look at subsidiarity and that uh, solutions need to be dealt, um, problems need to be dealt with where they can be most effectively solved, subsidiarity does not only mean that problem solving is um, relocated to lower levels, but if it comes to genuinely global concerns, it also means that problem solving has to be lifted up to the planetary scale. And that's exactly, I think, the gap um, that we that we can see today. Well, in all of this, if we look at it um, at all levels of democratic, um, you know, of, at all levels of government. Uh, democratic participation and representation of citizens, as well as rule of law, separation of powers, checks and balances, and the protection of minority rights, would have to be implemented from the local to the global scale. And in terms of the global level, this means the establishment of the world parliament that makes sure that decisions are taken and enforced with the democratic consent of the world's people. You know, in the best interest of humanity, and I would argue that the nation-state-based system, um, by definition, is unable (coughs) to find solutions in the best interest of humanity. So, as with many federal systems at the nation-state level, there should be two chambers, one representing the citizens the World Parliament, and another representing national governments, which would be similar to today's UN General Assembly. In terms of our debate today, I think there are two questions that we should um, treat separately. One is about the necessity and the design of a global government as a matter of principle, and the other then is about how realistic is this under current political conditions and how, you know, what steps might be possible to get there. And the second question puts a spotlight, I think, on uh, reform transformation of the United Nations, which uh, Dag Hammarskjöld has pointed out long ago, um, you know, as a f- Secretary-General of the UN, is actually already an embryo of a world government. And so, how can the UN be made more effective and more democratic, I think, is one of the practical questions we can ask ourselves. And uh, first step, my organisation, Democracy Without Borders, suggests the establishment of a United Nations Parliamentary Assembly, among many things, and I've, I would be delighted to address um, those more practical um, elements in our debate. Thanks.
1: Okay, thank you very much, Andreas.
5: <clears throat> and Tara. All right, thank you very much. Thank you very much all. I imagine I'll pr- probably be coming at it from a slightly different perspective. Um, Perspective. Um, so, with the end of the Cold War, there's a, there was a big revival of discussions about uh, new forms of governance. I mean, to some extent, this is a, not a new discussion. You know, how can we have more global systems of rule? But certainly, with the end of the Cold War, we had a big uh, revival or flowering. Lots of discussions about a global civil society. <coughs> Um, humanitarian intervention, new institutions such as the International Criminal Court, you know, lots of arguments that uh, we're in a kind of post-sovereign era um, documents, important documents in the early 90s, such as an agenda for peace, uh, Boutras Ghali's um, report. And very much there was this idea that with the end of the Cold War, we could have a more just World order. You know, the UN could would be freed finally to fulfil its uh, purpose, also as laid down in the Charter. Um, but I would say, probably in disagreement with some of my colleagues, that the reality is that all of the processes and institutions that were celebrated in the 90s and noughties really are run by powerful states. And on behalf of powerful states, so I'm always mind <coughs> always remember the uh, uh, Robin Cook reassuring the British Parliament that the international Criminal Court would not be for us um, and I think actually with the end of the Cold War, we had quite a sort of unpleasant layer of uh, hypocrisy, you know ideas of bombing for human rights um so I think what we actually had despite the discussion about, you know, kind of expanding democracy and human rights and so on with the end of the Cold War, what we actually had were modes of exercising power, and we still do, that have served to entirely separate uh, those on the receiving end from any hope of exercising control over their own lives. So I think it's a post-sovereign world for some, to speak to... Mary Calder's point, we in the West have allocated ourselves the right to decide which states should be sovereign uh, in the the non-Western world, which states should have self-rule. And I think that's a real problem. I don't think we can remain and reform, to use a current quote, uh, institutions such as the ICC or have a better approach to humanitarian intervention, because um, the world as it is currently constituted, and I think that is a serious issue, means that supranational forms of governance or processes essentially support power and inequality. So, but I think there's also a kind of an interesting and very problematic um, process going on in the old liberal dem- democracies as well. And I think it is also here that we do have a kind of attempt at forms of supranational rule, but which basically involve excluding the demos. And power is increasingly kind of concentrated in the hands of the uh, political and corporate elites. And the EU possibly, uh, the EU is a great example, post-Maastricht EU I should be specific this functions as a system through which national elites can essentially depoliticise more and more areas of policy, that is to say more and more areas of policy are removed from the democratic uh, realm of debate and contestation Um, you know this is you you could argue this is a good thing, I don't, I think it's a problematic thing Um, But not only that, and and it is increasingly clear that also on a national level, there is no alternative allowed. When you think of what's going on about Brexit, the demos will not be permitted back into the realm of um, control. And, you know, unsurprisingly, people are quite angry about this. So we're seeing a lot of, uh, we're seeing movements such as the Gilets Jean, which, of course, uh, British media has been, Superbly impressive in the way that it has managed to ignore kind of major civil uh, disturbances in our nearest neighbor and one of our closest uh, allies. Uh, Brexit, Trump. You know, so I think actually these are some symptoms of problems of attempts to rule supranationally without uh, the demos. And I don't think the future is going to be. Uh, particularly good. I do think, just quickly, you know, this is a real change. Certainly in the developed world, kind of mid-20th century, we had this idea of, um, you know, the social contract, democratic control, people had a greater share of the wealth, uh, state investments, (coughs) and this actually led, just thinking about kind of what the state can do. I think maybe we need to think a bit more about different types of state because in the mid-20th century, kind of capitalist, liberal, dem- democratic states did some incredible things. Well, also did the U.S. So they put people on the moon. You know, we had this incredible development of nuclear power, as in for civilian uses, um, incredible advancements in medical science. So states can do incredible things that are, can have benefit for, you know, all of humanity um but i think at the moment we're seeing a very kind of powerful shift away from democratic control i don't think this is a good thing and i would actually argue to finish if you want a juster world in which rights matter in which meaningful political and economic decisions can be made and i think there are absolutely problems that are not going to be resolved at the national level i do think we have a problem with climate change, you know, I do think there are problems that need to be resolved more broadly. But I think if you want to begin to resolve this, you have to start with arguing for democracy at home. And that is my argument. This is is where the problem is now. We need to actually make, go, row right back from thinking about a federal state. We need to be arguing for a democratic national state And that seems to be the real problem, you know, and then see what comes after. But at the moment, that's to me the big problem that we face.
1: Okay, thank you, Tara. Now, it's all getting just a bit cosy on this panel here. I mean, there's three, three of them that broadly agree with each other, which we've, yeah, we can't have that, can we? So um, I want to see lots of questions and points and disagreements on all sorts. of things. There's so many layers to this discussion, which is why I think it's so fascinating. So if you'd like to speak, pop your hand up, and uh, I'll start at the back. I'm very pleased that... Three of the
6: panel, at least, seem to more or less agree with each other, and I <laughs> agree with them entirely, so I'm very happy <laughs> about that. I think it's absolutely essential we have world government, and the interesting thing is, question is, how do we achieve it? Now, the only two models I know which go towards that would either be the United Nations or the EU, and of those two, I have no doubt at all which I prefer. The United Nations has been an unmitigated disaster. And I don't think it could form the basis. I don't think it could evolve from the United Nations because I think there are too many vested interests in the United Nations that will resist change. So I think we'll have to be started from scratch. And I think there are certain... I'm not saying the EU is a wonderful model, but I think there are certain features of the EU that ought to be looked at. For example, that you don't just become a member of this federal world government, you have to qualify. You have to show that you're worthy of it. That's what the, the <coughs> EU insisted on, and I think it was a very good policy, because it means you get your own house in order before you start to try and put other people's house in order. And. The problem with Tara's argument, I think, is she cites the demos, and it's a powerful slogan world, the demos. But the only problem with the demos, who is the demos? It seems to me we have as many demoses, we have as many demoses, almost not quite as many, but almost as many as we have people in the country. So demos, to me, is a kind of abstract, rather useless
7: word.
1: Okay, right. Uh, so can we... Uh, uh, yes? Um, yeah,
7: my name is Patrick So. Yeah, but what scares me up, most about so about the, about the uh, these proposals. Not so much a kind of a, uh, idea that one one looks at planetary issues uh, uh, and starts to have a evolved discourse on them on, an, on a global level. That's very much welcomed. But when we talk about world parliament and world demos, I think it becomes very very scary to me. Uh, one can foresee the, the unrealism of this. And also, so, so I have become, in terms of my thinking towards the libertarian uh, uh, sense of rule of law, more and more that democracy and universal suffrage uh, and the demos as an undifferentiated uh, mass voting is in. Sharp contradiction to rule of law. Rule of law is based on property and constitutionality, and uh, over and over again, it shows that kind of these, this, uh, particularly the kind of unmediated, rapid expansion into, into populist votes, etc., would, would would undermine that radically. And, and and we have a situation right now that where hardly any government is any, uh, is under the pressure of, of popular demonstrations is able to do very little in respect to uh, uh, enforcing its own laws. Uh, They're violating their own laws continuously. So that's very, very worrisome to me. And I believe in markets and discourses and property on multiple levels and, and evolving institution also through private organizations, the most, <laughs> uh, you know, industry uh, self-regulation, uh, etc. these kind of uh, non-governmental institutions, voluntary institutions, rather than uh, taking the model of the nation state um, uh, d- demos and then kind of monopoly of violence uh, uh, as, as a model on a global scale, a horrendous uh, specter and, and totally unrealistic too.
8: I think a world government is a utopian Western elite idea. Who's going to decide what type of governance is going to be? We can't get any international court to decide on anything. Who, first of all, you have to decide what type of system you're going to have. You're going to have to decide who is going to legislate and run the system, who's going to enforce the system, what type of courts you're going to have. Um, that means you're going to be dictating to dozens and dozens and, well, hundreds and millions of people. What system are you going to use? Socialistic? Capitalistic? Um, Who's going to dictate what rules you're going to follow? It's really an impossible dream, but a very utopian and pleasant one.
9: Well, I just want to thank uh, Dr. McCallback for her comments, for dealing with reality as we actually is rather than this idealistic view of these other three speakers is extraordinary to me. We already have tried federalism in the EU, subsidiarity, they talk about it, and yet they can launch economic genocide on the Greeks with no no, uh, legal uh, redress from anyone. The European Union is now increasingly a militarised bloc. Uh, If the EU tried to join the EU uh, itself... It wouldn't be allowed in, because it's fundamentally undemocratic. And that's how it is. Now, you talk about the post-Cold War world. When NATO bombed the Yugoslavia, the NATO Secretary-General said, we have crossed the Ubicon and we no longer have to to deal with uh, international law, and we can do what we like. (coughs) This is the lawlessness of the mentality of what we're dealing with. So the idea that um, we can abolish the nation-state, is absolutely ludicrous because the nation-state has only existed for about 100 years. It's a very new thing. And it's to do with enlightenment and the idea of self-government, and w- which makes us more civilised, rather than... Like, we have some agency. We do have demos because you have elections. And whoever wins that election then can govern. So there's only one demos. And so the idea we abolish the nation-state is deeply reactionary and actually belongs to medieval ideas of empire.
10: I agree, It's, uh, it's very, uh, it's, it's a very utopian idea. A um, couple of problems. One is where you've got a very, very rich states and very poor states. Is it going to work? Um, I suspect there could be difficulties and I think democracy takes a little while to uh, learn, if you look at the Swiss that's fine with the, you know, they can do referendum they, see, they even seem to get away with it um, look at Russia, Russia uh, I quote became democratic you can dis- uh, discuss but we can we see there were various problems, <coughs> uh, an observation uh, and this is totally hypothetical, it was never going to happen but um, the uh, Europe used to have an awful lot of colonies, what happened if they treated their colonies let's say as um, French European, um, uh, as, as French Uh, um, uh, departments overseas departments said right we'll use um, funds to try and raise them to that level we'll give you the vote or whatever Uh, i wonder what would happen if that that uh, if we'd done that would we then have a world which could be democratic and have a sort of an eu which included all uh, europe's um, colonies as i say i know it's not going to work that was never going to work but interesting thought okay yes
11: um yeah i just um also wanted to sort of echo some of the concerns about that idea that you have um, you know, a system where nations have to qualify for membership, a bit like the EU, because one of the problems, as other people have mentioned, you know, who sets the terms for that and do we just end up replicating the same power structures, uh, you know, would this just happen on a global term, would the, the, the countries who currently have the power would be the ones entirely setting the terms? And what happens if if a country has to qualify in that way, then they have to restructure, they have to change the way that their country is run according to these external (coughs) demands. So it doesn't come at any point from the people who actually live in that country. Um, So, and I think it's inevitable at some point you have a reaction to that because people feel that they are, you know, they're. if views and, and rights and, and wishes have just been completely overruled. That's when you start to see um, a sort of kickback and emergence of populism and so on. And I think just the, the question about the, the, the demos. I mean, if, if um, our ideas and our you know, sort of way forward isn't driven by the demos, then who is it driven by? Because the only alternative is to sort of select a, a group of, of elite people and assume that they somehow have better ideas than the rest of humanity.
1: Okay, panel. So I'll bring you back in for a couple of minutes each. There's lots to talk, talk about. Yeah, wh- what would be the correct model for so, for world governance? Um, is, it, is the idea of demos contradictory to the rule of law? Is it a utopian idea? Um, uh, who would be in charge and who would select who is in charge? Lots of things on the table. Ian, would you like to have a go? Oh.
2: Thank you, thank you. Well, it's obviously, obviously a lot to discuss. So, f- firstly, I don't think anyone <coughs> here is arguing for an undemocratic govern- governance at any at any level. I think uh, Andreas's point about a global parliament is to try and introduce a, dem- a democratic. Uh, chamber into the un decision making process having said that i tend to agree with the gentleman who said that the un probably isn't the way forward here the problem with the un is it recognizes sovereignty the un state sovereignty national nation state sovereignty and it's built on that and so powerful states have obviously taken it over as they will if they uh, are allowed to wield their sovereignty on with no one no one influencing it. So the, the aim here is not to try and devise a non-democratic form of government. No, I don't think anyone, anyone would sign up to that. Is it utopian? I, I don't know. But the question before us here is not whether a world government is utopian or not. The question is whether a world needs a government or not. I just bring you back. This is the reality. <laughs> The reality of us all on our little planet floating around in the middle of nowhere so it behoves us to develop global institutions on which we can uh, look after ourselves on this little planet because nobody is coming to rescue us so i i think that this this implies a global tier of governance is desirable for global problems but absolutely nation states should democratic nation states should remain democratically controlling their national issues and local local authorities should be democratically accountable to their local citizens at at a at a local level so n- no one's here advocating See, i'm not advocating advocating an undemocratic federal system i think if it's to happen it has to evolve and it has to develop a suitable democratic institutions um there was one other point i wish i wish to make oh yes it was the gentleman who came back who said the eu was fundamentally democratic <coughs> i think this is this is not right is it of, of the three core institutions in, so well, th- oh, but that's <laughs> that, that, that you yeah, the point is not whether it's going well or not. Your point was that it was fundamentally undemocratic. So of the of the three core institutions of the European Union, the European Parliament is directly elected by proportional representation. The, no, no, so it should have powers. So th- 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 this is a reason for it. Give, giving it more powers or having it evolve more powers, absolutely... The European Council is composed by the the democratic elected governments of all of its members, and then there is the bureaucracy. So the bureaucracy of the European Commission, yes, you could make a case for having the bureaucracy democratically elected. I'd be happy to advocate for that. But the idea that the core institutions of the European Union are inherently undemocratic, I just don't think that's that's right. So I've got other things I could make, but I'd probably have mine. Thank
1: you very much, Ian. Mary?
3: Okay, I want to
2: say three things. First of all, I
3: find this idea that somehow states are nicer and more democratic than international institutions really weird. States were responsible for empires, states were responsible for wars, uh, states were responsible for the Holocaust, states were responsible for totalitarianism. And so the idea that somehow there's an inherently more democratic demos. (laughs) than any other to me is very odd and peculiar secondly on the European Union actually the European Parliament does have the power of co-decision it can amend legislation it can approve the budget it has to approve appointments and not only does it uh, do we have the European Parliament but we have an interesting initiative called the European Citizens Initiative which for example stopped (coughs) TTIP the trade and tra- the transatlantic trade and investment partnership which was a really horrible neoliberal phenomenon now it's true that uh, that since maastricht the eu has been predominantly neoliberal and what happened to greece was completely outrageous but there's pushback by the parliament the parliament is now trying to tax amazon tax google Uh, regulate Facebook there's pushback through the European Citizens Initiative and we in Britain or in an individual state are not going to be able to do that on our own and so making the demos European is a much better hope for being democratic than sticking to our centralised militarised state by the way over half European regulations were actually proposed by Britain which we complain about of course Tari is right. They were proposed by the government because they have this awful thing called royal prerogative and they don't need to consult parliament. But why hasn't our nice democratic country been demanding the parliamentary scrutiny of EU regulations? And then finally on the 90s, civil society, humanitarianism, human rights. I mean, of course... Not everything done in the name of human rights. I I agree with you. You can't bomb for human rights. But the 1990s, there was a real effort by the United Nations and the EU, which continues to this day, to try to address conflicts. And, you know, the interventionism that went with the war on terror in Afghanistan and Iraq and the reaction that therefore all interventionism is bad, has left us with Syria and the Congo, which are the most terrible... Not only are they terrible stains on humanity, but they're affecting us. I mean, people don't realise that one of the reasons London property prices are so high, it's because of money laundering by Syrian warlords. Uh, It causes the refugee problem. It... um, You know, all of these things are hugely problematic, and the UN is nowhere now. We've left it to outside states. Surely we want the UN. Surely we want... Even if it's true, I mean, I think Blair and Bush should have been sent to the International Criminal Court for war crimes, but nevertheless, even though they haven't, I'm really glad there is a war crimes International Criminal Court, and that war crimes and that victims in places like Syria have a chance to document what's happened to them. Okay, thank you.
1: Andreas?
4: Well, um, first of all, what I find scary is that we already do have in existence right now a system of global governance in place that is... um, through OPEC you know means and structures already um, working in favor of of elites um, to put it in a you know very easy in, into very easy words and I think the the task um, before us is really to to um, put people back in control, but not by The illusion that this is possible—that we go back to the nation-state—but quite the contrary, that we do a leap forward to the global scale. Um, The the authority of government should be based on the will of the people, and why would that only apply at the nation-state level, where we do have global structures in place? So, so what we promote is really that this demos we've been talking about is actually, um, you know, put implemented uh, at the global scale, and the 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 term of a demos actually in a legal sense uh, describes the individual constituent subjects of a state, right? The citizens. So the, the global demos is all human beings on the planet. So the question is, how do we give all these these human beings that are affected by global structures and processes that are already in place, how do we give them um, a say in, in these matters? And the the response, um, which I think uh, must be delivered, is, is quite simple, that we, you know, actually establish a parliament that is democratically elected. However, of course, I mean, the, the long-term idea of a global government is certainly, you know, kind of an utopia because um, the development of global democracy for certain is connected with the development of democracy at lower levels as well, at the nation-state level particularly. And I, I just want to make one, one observation in this context. What use does it have if you develop the best possible democratic institutions at the nation-state level, if um, this nation state operates in an undemocratic global system in an undemocratic global system that is driven by secret negotiations intergovernmentalism where only the executive branch of governments has a say like in the united nations and that 's exactly the point um, that we that we have to you know um, leave that idea that nation states can be represented by a single voice alone that is coming from the executive. You know, there is opposition in uh, democratic countries that needs to have a say at the global level as well, um, in in my opinion. And just um, as a side note... um, In addition to the UN Parliamentary Assembly project, which would for the first time allow opposition and minorities to have a seat at the UN, we will also in uh, two weeks launch a campaign for a UN World Citizens Initiative uh, based on the model of the European Citizens Initiative that has just been mentioned. And, um, well, there's much more to say, but I think we also want to hear more more from you.
1: Okay. Actually, I'm going to throw one question at you very specifically, though. Because it's the utopian one in the sense of, wait, let's say we all agree on a, you know, uh, the idea of a world parliament and it's going to have powers and such a thing. How do we get from here to there? For example, when you have countries like China, which are not democracies and are very, very powerful. So is that is it just, even if we agreed what it should all look like, is it even possible? Is there just is too much in the way of it?
4: Well, I think there are two elements here. First is we don't know the future. If you talk to um, you know, Chinese pro-democracy activists outside uh, mainland China, they don't know how long the Communist Party of China will remain in power. Its current uh, move to strengthen its uh, grip on, on, on the country uh, by many is interpreted as actually a sign of weakness. So that's the first thing um, that I think we need to have in mind. We don't know um, how the future will play out. Just weeks before the um, wall fell in, in Berlin, Berlin and, and I'm from Germany. No, nobody knew that that's going to happen. Not even the best people in the intelligence services. So that was a surprise. Mm-hmm. And I think the future. I mean, we have seen very bad surprises. I think in recent past, but we might also, you know, see good ones happening that are unexpected at this point. So that's the first thing I would like to say. Who knows whether the Communist Party of China is still in power in a week or in one year? We don't know that. So the second thing is. Um, we, of course, we deal with the situation as it is, and I think we need to run it in parallel. One is we need to strengthen and secure democracy where it exists, and then again, at the same time, we need to um, move forward in parallel with building democracy at the UN level, because it is an interconnected um, uh, momentum that we have. For instance, if there are many countries in transition in the world, it's not a black and white matter, like there are democracies and there are non-democracies. There are many dozen of countries that are in transition um, in, in a grey area and here we do often have um, vivid and real parliamentary opposition which we think should have a seat and a voice at the UN and that would strengthen national democratization in these countries but it would also strengthen the democratic character of the UN at the, and at the beginning this body could be consultative so it would have no actual powers but it would act, you know, have a political weight and step by step as democracy moves forward nationally especially in the countries where it does not yet exist this this parliamentary body at the un could also gain in power but it's not something that would happen tomorrow but the first step the first step could happen tomorrow if a political will existed um, within democratic countries
1: okay so tara
5: so, thank you i'm not unsympathetic to a lot of what you say, andres but for me the first step has got to be reconstituting democracy at ...the level that is closest to the people... ...and that is at the national level. And to go to our sort of gentlemen in the audience... ...you know, <coughs> what is a demos? Who is a demos? Well, it's us. It's me. It's you. But it's much more... A demos is a body of people... ...that are politically constituted... ...that will agree on laws, for example... ...and how that they, they should be governed. A body of people that will pay taxes... And in return, uh, you know, accept certain things from the state, and the state accepts certain things from, expects certain things from us. So there is absolutely no reason why the demos cannot be reconstituted <coughs> differently and on a bigger level. I mean, absolutely, you know, the nation state is, uh, you know, youngster, and it may not be with us for much longer. Who knows? But what you would need is a demos in that sense of a kind of body of people that accepts rights and responsibilities towards themselves towards the government and votes on the government and that currently doesn't exist outside of the nation state and I would I don't agree with my colleagues that the European Parliament represents an example of this in supranational form I mean really you know I urge everyone just have a look at some of the European parliamentary processes, you know, kind of 60 seconds for debate, uh, you know, hardly anyone in the chamber, et cetera. And it is an extremely weak institution. So, yes, in principle, I don't think the nation state is the be-all and end-all, but at the moment, this is the only meaningful forum within which people can exercise democratic rights and have some kind of control of the state. And I think that's going, and that, to me is the real problem. And I think if we... So I, I can't see how a UN Parliamentary Assembly would do anything other than be an even weaker version of the European Parliament. You know, 10 seconds for debate and sort of one person and the cat in the debating.
1: OK, great. So um, let us take some more points and questions. So where are the microphones? Wait, wait, wait. So, Uh, question
12: for Tara, Uh, you say the first thing we need to focus on is democracy at the national level. Scientists tell us the first thing we need to focus on is the global sustainability crisis. How do you propose we deal with sustainability without tackling global governance?
13: Professor Crawford uh, looks at the uh, planet and determines that therefore we need one, and he called it federal state, for the whole planet isn't it as as you see the contrasts in the various parts of that photograph isn't it almost obvious that if you were emperor ming on your death star as you were approaching uh, the planet that since there is quite a lot of contrast in the planet it's also quite conceivable that you would imagine that there were lots of different environments, ecosystems, and therefore different sorts of human civilization in different parts of the world, each with their own forms of governance. I'm always very wary of people who claim that they've got the rational solution. You use that word. Communism. All the people behind that thought that they were being rational. Nazism. They considered themselves to be rational. Brexit, I think, over the past few years has shown us that actually there is a majority against the coercive world set up by experts, using rationality as their cover for an unwillingness to deal with the very difficult problems raised by politics of interest groups and real people and conflicts, which I hope—I I, I imagine you just imagine—you can wish away. I don't like the idea of a federal state because it rang—it—it it, it sounds just a little bit too much like empire. Um, Professor Calder calling for tax-raising powers for this body and then actually said, the European Union, that's where the hope lies. And and since then, you have heard a stream of reaction from those of us that are Eurosceptics against this idea and your support has really been from Europhiles, it seems to me. I am only relieved that this discussion on world government isn't taking place in some grand palace. It's taking place in a relatively... Under occupied lecture hall. There is no great call for this, a great across the world. Academics may be, but you haven't got the support of trade unions, you haven't got the support of class, you haven't got the support of voluntary organisations. Instead, what you have is a rationalist's call to avoid having to do politics
14: properly.
1: Right, okay, so, yes. Hello, I- hands? Yeah.
14: I have um, two points I want to make. The first is, uh, this is the third session in a row I've been in where Greta Thunberg has been raised um, in discussion by a panelist. And what's interesting about her for me uh, are two things. One is she represents for me uh, a new look at the, the idea of a citizen. I mean, She recently rejected a prize from her own country and then not only rejected it, but then called her country to task for, for climate, climate issues. And if there is an idol amongst that generation... Um, I work in schools all the time with young people outside of pop stars and athletes. It's her. So my first point is, to what extent are we talking to that generation about the idea of governance and the the idea of citizenship? Do they have fundamentally different ideas than we do about this, many of us in that room, and how is that being addressed? The second is a slightly different point. I'm a a Democrat. I believe in democracy. I know a lot about Democracy Without Borders, fantastic organization, How do we know, however, that a world government would be a democratic government?
1: Mm -hmm. If you take the microphone back. I've got a question myself. uh, Not to the gentleman who's spoken already, I'm afraid, but the one behind.
12: Thanks. Uh, Yeah, My question follows on from that, really. Uh, First, I should say I've got absolutely no problem with utopias and idealism. Uh, I I think we could do with a bit more of utopian thinking because we're in quite a mess here and in the world. but and I, I, I quite understand that everybody in the platform is a democrat and supports democracy. But speaking as a democrat, I do have a, a, a bit of a problem with what's being suggested uh, because of troubling uh, question of accountability. Uh, because I don't quite see how this works. Um, as a democrat, you you have to think about who is it who is in charge and how did they get there. And linked to that, uh, how can I get rid of them as one of the, in this case, 7 billion people? How do I get rid of the people? Now, the model we got at the moment, I won't talk about the EU, but in terms of the UN model, which some of you are in favour of, some of you aren't, clearly you know, is a model of leadership at the Security Council, which came out of a bloody war, uh, and which it's been impossible to reform. I think it's been for about 30 years People from the General Assembly have been trying to reform the Security Council. There's been no change in it since the 1960s, I think, when it was expanded. Uh, and, you know, it's gone on and on and on, because uh, the way <coughs> that was created was through war, which created the leadership. So I'm interested in how you address that. And linked to that is who determines the values of this new world government? Uh, because as all we're all Democrats in this room, you know, what is the situation then if uh, a, a section of people defer from democracy and don't think it's appropriate. Uh, is that going to lead to them being sanctioned by the rest of the world? Is it going to lead to them being invaded by the rest of the world? Is it going to lead to uh, you know, some sort of mandate system that others are going to rule them on their behalf? This sounds you know, faintly similar to what imperialism used to be. Can I
1: just ask, about, I'm going to take some more points, because you've heard quite a lot of the debate now, a th- show of hands. Who thinks that a world government would be a good thing? Just raise your hand. Interesting. Okay, okay. Yeah. And who thinks it would be a bad idea? Right, okay. Just getting a feel of the other. It's pretty, pretty evenly split, actually, I would say. Right, let's see some more hands.
0: I'd like to say I'm in support of world government. Um, but I know this is kind of a a very far away kind of ideal world that I know it does sound... I mean, there's nothing wrong with being utopian. Like, why is utopia such a bad idea? You know, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I'm hearing quite a lot of people just bashing it because it's something we don't, we haven't got. It's something we can't see in this modern world, how it could work. But I feel like this could be, perhaps, a solution in a very distant future. Quite a lot of people here are, oh, maybe I'm young, maybe I'm still a, not bashed by life into a ball of misery. Um, LAUGHTER um, maybe I, I will be lucky enough to be alive, perhaps in the future, that the world government could be a little more um, foreseeable than it is right now. Um, not to be devil advocate, but I've got a very big question on also on democracy of this world government that I fully support, but this issue we have to solve first. Um, like America has, the popular vote went to Clinton, but the regional vote went to Trump. So this world government is going to have the same issue. Countries... With cultures with a very big population, they're going to dominate this India, China, America are going to dominate this world government. So who, how do we make sure that these small countries that have very small population also has a say in this because de- it is democ- democracy, democracy is majority rules. but then that majority rules will mean small countries will have never get a say in that. So if my ideal world government's going to happen. That problem needs to be solved first.
1: Okay, uh, any other hands? I have to say that an institution that's already grappling with these issues is the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, It's true, it's a really big... They keep changing the rules all the time to try and make it fairer. Anyway... The emphasis
10: of discussion so far is on a world government that incorporates nation-states. However... The competi- competition inherent to this structure, in, in conjunction with existential risk-level technology, nuclear weaponry, engineered pathogens, nanotech, mean that the structure is self-terminating. So how would the next stage of social evolution, as you, as you alluded to, a post-nation-state unified true-world government function in consideration of the risk of, 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 of bureaucracy, power abuses, or a monolithic cultural orthodoxy?
1: Mm-hmm. It's quite a grand question. Yes. Just, to, like, <laughs> just,
15: just the little issues
1: people there. People complaining about <laughs> utopian things. Uh, yeah. So there's a, there's a hand there. Yes.
15: Uh, so my point would be I think that people um, accept being governed reluctantly. I think they, um, they're reluctant because being governed involves the possibility of compromise and being told what to do by someone who definitely isn't you and potentially you don't know and don't agree with, even in a democratic government. And I think that it's easiest to make that compromise and accept government when when the need is greatest, so kind of historically, uh, when you're going to be attacked by another state. And I can easily see... I think that global government has got an enormous risk of compromise of being made to do something that you don't want to do by someone who you've never associated with, because they're Brazilian or uh, Chinese or whatever. I think that it would be easy to see a case for global government if uh, another planet emerged and the planet said, We're going to destroy your planet. It would be very easy to say, Well, the compromise is worth it. Um, If climate, this may be a uh, kind of controversial idea, but if the benefits of um, solving climate change were immediate and massive, so if we're all going to be wiped out tomorrow, very easy to accept the massive risk and compromise of global governance. But I think at the moment, uh, none of the kind of real urgencies are sufficiently pressing to get people to accept that. OK, any f- more hands? will be very quick now. I
1: like the idea that we need a Martian invasion to <laughs> get this sorted out. Uh, HG
15: Wells had a point. Right, so... OK, well, I did put my hand up the say against world government, but if its really it was limited to stuff like... Um, tragedy of the commons, you know, stopping overfishing, then maybe I'd be for it. But I worry about sort of feature creep to uh, crazy authoritarianism. So in short, my question is how do you prevent your world government becoming the UN?
16: Uh, Yeah, very short uh, question. By the way, the the lady there, what she was saying about um, big nations having uh, the risk of the big big nations will have too much to say um, in this system. Uh, Now we have the reverse situation where smaller countries that have uh, economic power have more to say than uh, larger countries that uh, more popular power larger population that have less economic power. Well, that wasn't my question. My question was uh, to Professor uh, Crawford. He, was, he said um, that if there was a world government, um, that would just uh, address problems uh, that were more of an uh, international uh, scale, uh, of course. But then isn't the problem that it's very difficult sometimes to say uh, which problems should be, which subjects should be decided on a national level and which on an international level? Because that seems to be... Big problem now.
1: Okay. okay, so I'm going to bring the panel back in. They've got a luxurious, luxurious three minutes each uh, to give, give us their final thoughts. Don't please try to respond to everything uh, that, that's been uh, asked or the comments that have been made. Just pick out the key ones you think you want to leave people as they go on their way. So Ian...
2: There are, there are a lot of very important points here, so there are no guarantees that a world government couldn't evolve to be some kind of terrible world tyranny. The only answer to this is eternal vigilance as it is to making in trying to ensure that tyrannies don 't arrive at any at any at any level <coughs> in, in any government. I think the world federalism is getting a bad a bad press, possibly because it 's got tied up in the whole brexit sort of discussion i mean federalism means having federalism means employing the principle of subsidiarity such that problems are tackled at the most appropriate level so yes a world federal government properly constituted would have as its as its as its remit global issues like the global commons as you say and and, and global other other issues climate change biodiversity loss things that affect the planet as a whole which individual nation states have just clearly demonstrated they cannot tackle But then at the tier below that, the the gentleman is right. The world is a very diverse place. And federalism is that political structure which can incorporate unity in diversity by ensuring that local local, um, issues and local cultures and local belief systems and local um, allegiances Remain respected and valid at the local level, but the fact is, we are on this planet together, and we do have global problems that nation states have clearly demonstrated that they're, they're unable to 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 change. Um, I would just say <coughs> the, we, the, the, this: this is a very old debate. It goes back to at least at least the 18th century. It goes back to at least to American. Federalism when they put their constitution together, um, and their solution was how do you equate the, the powers of big states and little states was to have a two chambered government where big states were represented where, one represented by the uh, proportional to the state 's population. This is the House of Representatives, which represents the big states because they have more populous population, but gives equal say to the, to the states in the Senate, which is why each state in the American Union has two senators now. That, that is not the only way, but it is a way of trying to address the balance between big states and, and, and small states. I just want to come back to, to, to two things, if I may. The first is there were two sessions this morning. I don't know whether I wasn't, I wasn't able to go to them. I don't know whether anyone here did. There was a session this morning, can we stop World War Three? Well, this is pretty important that we ensure there isn't a World War Three. And there was another debate on, can we solve a problem like the climate emergency? This is also pretty important. So I don't know whether the concept of global governance came up in any of those sessions, because I wasn't there. If anyone was, perhaps you, could, perhaps you could let us know. But it seems to me that the, a global tier of government could be very important in addressing both these, <coughs> two, these two existential risks that are in front of us, and many other threats that, 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 are, that apply to us on a global level.
1: Okay, I think that's your uh, three minutes, I'm afraid. Thank you. Uh, Mary?
3: Yeah, well, first of all, on this issue of federalism, I think one of the problems with federalism is that it sort of implies something vertical that the top's in power, whereas I'd happy to use the term federalism, but what I envisage is really a system of – a horizontal system of checks and balances – which actually is beginning to emerge. I mean, I do think that the emergence of international law, the establishment of multilateral institutions, the rise of the EU, has actually restrained the worst aspects of the nation-state. So although there are lots of bad things about globalisation, multinational corporations, financial markets, environment, there are also some positive things, and we should be aware of both. Uh, And so I think my view is it's very difficult to imagine a sort of world government that's in charge because I think that would be a tyranny. (laughs) But what I want is a system of global governance where we solve problems cooperatively and um, offer checks and balances to prevent that kind of tyranny. And absolutely key to all that are two things. First of all, I think international law i think there are international rights and responsibilities and they become much more important international law has people used to say oh international law is (laughs) different from domestic law but actually both international law and domestic law depend fundamentally on people accepting law and being ready to conform to the law And it's much stronger than it was in the past, and it does offer hopes to people in very difficult circumstances. But what's really important, and this goes back to the Greta Thunberg question, is the role of civil society. I mean, civil society doesn't any longer... Uh, is just confined to nation-state. I'm going next week to something called the Trans Europa Festival, which is full of European activists who want to oppose the neoliberalism of the European Union, who want to the European Union to have peace policies, who want to press for climate change. You know, and the idea that somehow democracy is only confined to the nation-state, to me, is absolutely weird. I think there's a real problem that history is always told from above, And we never hear about the struggles that changed history that came from below, but actually, I think they always did. And I was thinking of that when Andreas mentioned, said nobody expected the Berlin Wall. Actually, all those people... The dialogue that went on between the West European peace movement and the East European human rights groups did expect the Berlin Wall to fall. Well, they didn't necessarily the way it did, but E.P. Thompson, who was the hero of all this, predicted the rapid disintegration of the Cold War as early as 1982.
4: Okay,
1: thank you very much, Mary Andreas.
4: Well uh, three minutes very difficult because I think the questions and points raised from the audience are extremely important, and all of them would have to be addressed but that 's simply impossible so um, perhaps um, one point I would like to make of a general nature is that if we imagine this limited um, global government we've been talking about um, the it would you know there would be component parts um, of this global government, in in my view. So that's what a federal system refers to. The nation states, perhaps there would be continental entities like the EU as a sub-level in between. So if if this central entity, and I don't think that horizontal will be enough, if this central entity in one way or another departs from a common understanding on how it should operate, I, I would assume that it would break up back into its component parts, because it would lack the support it needs to fulfill its functions. And besides that, of course, we would have to imagine the best possible designs of checks and balances, and how these component parts work together. Having said that, and I think we stressed it um, all the time here at the podium, at least, that nation-states as as such would would, um, not be abolished. And I think that Um, If we talk about this global government, we are not necessarily imagining a large uh, bureaucracy because um, we would have a constitutional world system that, um, you know, um, distributes functions. And of course, nation states, for instance, they could fulfill bureaucratic functions on behalf of the world government. So there is not necessarily the need to, to build a large bureaucracy. And in terms of decision making, I think... The key, the key um, that we need to understand is that in a world parliament we would not have China, India, the United States or the UK. Um, because the world parliament, demos, that would be the world citizens, and the demos, um, you know, it would be breaking up in the political process into groups that have a common understanding, a common ideology, and those groups would not be nation-state based. A peasant in India might have more in common with a peasant in China and in Zimbabwe than with somebody who comes from an urban area of the same country. So we would have transnational problem solving and transnational dynamics in the world parliament, which really departs from the geopolitical thinking of our time. And I think that is really what we need to envision that that we depart from the idea, you know, here is one China, here's one India, and they would dominate us because in a in the world parliament, and, and we are thinking about the principles, of course, today, that's not how it's going to be. But how we envision it, you know, in a democratic election, there would be, I don't know, 200 Chinese delegates, but they wouldn't vote in a block. Why would the Indian delegates vote in a block if there, you know, there are many opposition parties? Why would they align with the, with the government? They wouldn't. So I think um, that is really what we have to, what you have to envision, a new cosmopolitan uh, dynamism in the, in the global system.
1: Okay, thank you, Andreas. And finally, Tara. Um-
5: to re- reiterate. I, mean, I' think Yeah, sorry, so so many good points and questions, and what, three minutes. no. Read, so I'm going <laughs> to re- reiterate. I think that the world, as it is currently constituted, uh, international institutions, uh, setting up a new uh, level of uh, uh, so some kind of parliament, would simply be, as today, representative of powerful states. Um, and I don't think we need that at the moment. I think the best hope for uh, resolving, you know, serious transnational problems are responsible, accountable states. So, to um, the gentleman who said, so "How can we solve, you know, problems such as climate change without global governance?" Well, I, I would sort of change it and say, "Well, look, current global initiatives are meaningless." You know, it's all kind of hot air, and, you know, let's, uh, you know, te- bring Greta Thunberg over in a yacht and forget, of course, that the crew had to fly. And <coughs> it's just nonsense. You know, so they aren't solving anything. And I'd say there's a key missing bit there, and that is, as uh, Phil Mulland at the back said, that is the problem of accountability, you know, and the kind of democratic national state. And it doesn't have to remain. At that level, but that is currently the only forum in which there can be meaningful political decision making and accountability, and I think that's got to be the basis for any kind of um, dealing with any kind of global issues. responsible, accountable states essentially you know and we've, and states have done it in the past. you know we have loads of stuff that works. you know what I mean? You get on a plane. And you get out the other side, and that's because all the st- all states have agreed to certain initiatives whereby planes have to meet certain standards, and we all agree on how the skies should be governed. So it absolutely can work, but I think without it, we just have, um, yeah, just more forums in which powerful states can dominate.
1: Okay, So again, we thank our panel, please
0: you can find out more about the festival by heading to our website battleofideas.org.uk to stay in touch with our work at the academy of ideas make sure you subscribe to this podcast and sign up to our newsletter by following the link below this recording